Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Let's pray. Father, once again, I do give you all the glory just for the absolute integrity of your word and the strength of your spirit and the strength of the work that you brought to planet Earth when you allowed Jesus, your son, to be born. And again, Father, I thank you for the incredible, overwhelming, amazing grace, grace that is ours. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father, for the love of God, which you said is intended to draw our hearts to repentance. That if somehow we'd actually catch a glimpse of how incredible your love is, how deep, wide, strong, magnificent your, your desire towards us is, that your hope is that we might turn to you, give up darkness indeed, and turn to the light. So this morning, fathers, I work through these scriptures afresh and renew and go back to some old stuff I spoke a while back. I just ask once again that you would grant us a strong measure of your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I pray again, Father, that our hearts really would be flooded with light so that we might see the hope of our calling. So I give you praise for your word, and I thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, I'm going to recap, like I said, uh, from where I was before a little bit. The scripture that we're all familiar with, uh, when we go to 1 Corinthians 10, I'll read it first, then we'll go back to the first verse. But it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Remember, in the King James, it says, For there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to all men, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above your able, your ability to escape it. King James, I mean in the Amplified Bible, it's possibly one of the longest verses in the whole Amplified Bible, but I'm going to read it anyhow. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for no, but really think about this. I don't know how far I'm going to get. I can feel it already. For no temptation, now remember the word temptation there means temptation, test, or trial. It's actually all three of the words as far as the Greek. Temptation, test, or trial. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance. Amen? I'll read that part again. No temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted, adapted, or belonging to human experience and such as a man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature, and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted or tried, or I say it, beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, actually the Greek says, Leonidas Lexicon says, win the temptation, but with the temptation, he will always, everybody say always, he will always provide the way out. That's where you're supposed to say hallelujah. <laughs> the means of escape to a landing place 
that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Okay? And again, we all know that verse pretty well. But again, in context, I want us to go back to the first verse of chapter 10. And again, I want you to see this. Now, I first learned these, like I said, well, I, many, many years ago, but when I was working with, again, Dr. Cole, when I was uh, his European director, and he used to talk on this, and he called it the five deadly sins, or the five sins that disallowed man from entering into the promises of God. These five sins. Now, I know, you all know that I'm a blood covenant teacher. I believe in the love of God more than anything. I believe in the grace of God that's come to us in Jesus Christ and what it stands for. And so I preach love, 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 grace, 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 grace all the time. And I've been assaulted a few times for why I haven't taught on sin more. And But like I've been saying for five years, you know, you're not qualified to teach about sin until you've revealed to people grace. Because the Bible says it's the revelation of grace that empowers you to say no to sin. Okay? But anyhow, when you come to this, it's incredible. Remember, well, let me just start reading, otherwise I'll be gone already. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. Again, he's starting right in the middle. I don't want to back up three verses of previous in chapter 9. But Paul says, I, I do not want you to be ignorant. How many of you know that's good news? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not supposed to be ignorant. Especially. <laughs> that's one way to get rid of people. When they knock on the door, just say, I don't want you, ignorant person. Sorry. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren... But this is deep stuff. And I was rereading it again last night and this morning. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud. There's all manner of symbolism and allegory here that we're supposed to grasp. Types, shadows. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud. They were protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them. And every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. Verse 2, And each of them, each one of them, allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses, which was the type of Christ in the Old Testament. Each one of them also allowed himself to be baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses, to the covenant. They were consecrated and they were set apart to God's service. They were consecrated. They were consecrated by what they went through. And they were set apart to God's service. Three, verse three, and all of them ate the same spiritual, supernaturally given food, the manna. Verse 4, and they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality, and the rock was Christ. In other words, he just said, these folk were blessed. <laughs> they were baptized they were immersed in, they were celebrated by, they were just thoroughly encased in God's deliverance, God's presence, and God's will for their life. They saw the miracles, the miraculous, the sea, like I often share, you know, if, you, if I took you to the English Channel today, and I took you all there to the English Channel, and I said, watch this, and I 
took a stick and stuck it in the water, and the waters moved to the left and to the right, and it was dry ground all the way to France, I would look around to you, and I would assume that some of you might say, this is a heavy church service. You know what I mean? It would be a memorable moment, possibly. If it wasn't a memorable moment, you know, we'd get you a cat scan, something. But verse 5, so in other words, he's talking about people there. But see, this is this thing. Paul's always trying to juxtaposition us in the revelation of, of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And he's talking about here the old covenant. These people were baptized into all this. And he knows that this is a type of what we have today. And again, we are on this side of Calvary. And so we're to celebrate that. We're to rejoice in the fact that we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, we are in him. We are literally in him. But yet... The scripture says, in verse 5, nevertheless, you know, when we talk about grace again, remember, there's that scripture, but we're not to be found frustrating. The word means to make no, of no effect. We're not to be found frustrating the grace. So as huge as the message of grace is, you can frustrate or defeat it or cause its purpose, cause the very purpose of Jesus coming to be defeated through our own ignorance. Anyhow. Verse 5, nevertheless, God was not pleased with the great majority of them. I had, to, I had to stop right there again yesterday. I thought, you know, when you think about it, the majority, we're talking about some 2 million people. He wasn't pleased with the majority of them. Now, we know in the New Covenant, the real basic truth of what? That it's faith that pleases God. And we know Jesus himself, when he taught in Mark 4, parable of the sower sows the word, he speaks about four types of soul, only one only one twenty, only twenty-five percent, only one fourth of the people who heard him brought forth any fruit from what he spoke. That used to always and continues to kind of freak me out to think that Jesus Himself is speaking, and seventy-five percent of the people are going to, for some reason, be distracted, and they're not going to receive the words from heaven that can change your entire destiny. It only takes one word from heaven to alter your eternal destiny. This is why we have to teach people over and over how to hear, how to not be distracted, how to focus as it were. I'm telling you, God is still God, and his word actually does still work. But nevertheless, he wasn't pleased with the majority of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, for they were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. And then in verse six, he just flat, verse six, he just flat says, "Now these things are examples, <clears throat> sorry, warnings and admonitions for us." And then he begins to list these five things. The five things again are the first one in the King James. If you read it, was lust. Second was idolatry. Those two we've already covered in weeks past. The third is fornication or sex sin that we're going to deal with a bit today. The fourth is tempting God or tempting Christ, and the fifth is murmuring or complaining. But right now we're just going to deal with this one. But he says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with the great majority of them, for they were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cheers to the queen. <clears throat> ah, wonderful. Praise God. And verse 6, he says again, now these things are examples, warnings, and admonitions for us not to, and here's what in the Amplified says, not for us to desire or crave or covet or lust after evil and carnal things as they did, Numbers 11. Number seven, do not, verse seven, rather, do not be worshipers, this is idolatry, do not be worshipers of false gods, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, 
their sacrifices offered to the golden calf at Horeb, and they rose to sport, to dance, and to give way to jesting and hilarity. And verse 8, <clears throat> we must not gratify evil desire and indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. Now it goes on to read this, but I want you to see this, that all of those verses are leading up to verse 13, this verse about, for no temptation taking you, but such a common amount. And again, in the old covenant, when God spoke about these five sins, it kept God's people whom he loved, whom had been baptized, whom had crossed the sea with them, who'd seen all this, who'd experienced the power of God. They did not enter into the promised land because of this sin. Now, in the new covenant, we're, if, we're, if we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, then we're still in the kingdom But what this is telling us today is it's not saying that you won't, quote unquote, enter into the promised land. But what Paul's saying, if we had time to go through the next two chapters, he's talking about the fact that you will not be able to experience the just promises of God in this life. You will be expelled, as it were. You'll you'll actually put a, a sling around your own life. You'll be kept from having or inheriting the promises. The promises are there. There's no yes, if, nothing about that. There's no arguing about that. God's promises are there. But these are written to us as examples. These things will keep you from inheriting the promises of God, is what I'm trying to spit out. Everybody say, just praise God, Rod. Amen. I really appreciate all that. So, but the third one then, it's this thing about sex sins. Verse 8, we must not gratify evil desire and indulge in immorality as some of them did. Now, there's all kinds of things we could talk about when we talk about this. Hopefully, most of you are adult enough to know that we're talking about just that when he says sex sins. Now, again, I, I, you know, we could talk 14 years. There's so many areas you can go in. I want to talk about soul ties a little bit, which I'm not an expert on, but I've done a lot of study on it. But I want to remind us that I just want to say this, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it instead of hesitating. Um, The act of sex is far, 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 far more serious and more incredible and more important than people realize. Throughout all history, it's been abused. The reason for it's been messed up, and it's one of the very, very first issues that God's people fell askew of, that they messed up in. And the reason is, is because, again, it's an incredibly holy, holy thing. So I'm going to have to repeat the little teaching I do when we're doing blood covenant, the thing I learned with Dr. Cole. When Adam first knew Eve, let me say this first, God is a God of covenants. I said he is a God of covenants. In covenants, the word even in the Hebrew, berith, means to cut where blood flows. Everywhere there was an actual covenant, a God-ordained covenant, there was blood. It was, in God, it was God's intent, again, you know, when a man and a woman first came together in the sexual act, you know, the woman was a virgin. And... Again, let me just say it, what I had to learn through Ed Cole. 
When a man, when Adam first had intercourse with his wife Eve, and he first entered her, being a virgin, before today's implements that women have to use, she had something called a hymen, didn't she? The woman is penetrated. What happens? The hymen breaks and blood flows. In other words, blood flowed over the male member and the woman at the same time. People don't understand, you see, that sex was the token or the sign of the covenant between a man and a woman. It was a blood covenant. It was intended to be something so incredible, holy, so, so almighty that it should leave an impression on them that could never, ever, 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 ever be lost. A man and a woman are entering into a union before God that will never be broken because it's in blood. Amen? Just say amen anyhow. So it's, it's in God's eye, it's an incredible holy thing. And of course, we could go on for hours about the situation today where today, you know, I'm not the ancient of days like I always say. I just look like it sometimes. But the whole thing about when I was in high school in America, when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, the girl who had some, the girl who had uh, slept with somebody was by far, it was, I mean, she was the, I mean, there was no, you know, she was like one in 700. And your mind went crazy. You mean she, I, wow, that's heavy. This girl slept with somebody because, I mean, it wasn't commonplace. Now, today, the girl who hasn't slept with somebody is considered the weird one, right? Seriously, you know what I'm saying. And the sex act between a boy and a girl, man and a woman, whatever, it's just considered to be part of what happens today. That's the way you go out, you have sex, surely. I mean, you watch, I forget something like every single day on television, I forget how many thousand, I mean, multiple tens of thousands of sexual acts or sexual innuendos or whatever take place every single day on television. So it's just become part of our natural, <clears throat> normal life. You walk outside here right now, you look on the billboards, whatever, you know, and sell it with sex, the whole trip. But the thing is, it's just been hell's job. Julie and I, were, she was asking me where a verse was today that I used to preach on. And she had to find it for me because I couldn't. A verse from Daniel 7.25 when I used to speak on a message called Wearing Out the Saints. Daniel 7.25 is when Daniel's speaking about the spirit of the Antichrist, that when he comes, he'll seek to change the laws, the times, the customs of the land, and to wear out the saints of the Most High. And I remember looking that up, the Hebrew idiom, and it means literally, <laughs> I looked it up, you know what wear out means? It means wear out. <laughs> but it meant to slowly but surely, the way hell works is just as ever so subtly introduce something until it becomes so part of the day that it's no longer considered funny. Are strange. It's not abnormal. It is abnormal. Now, God's word says here that for this reason, 23,000 people fell dead in one day. I want us to turn back to Numbers 25 when he refers to this because I got a, I read, I studied something this week. I thought I'd studied myself talking about Raymond with our folks here today, but I, rem, I don't remember ever studying Baal Peor. Uh, we studied all these other Chemosh and all these other horrific, horrific idols and the way that they were worshipped, like where Solomon made all his mistakes. But I, I read this again. Anyhow, I want you to read Numbers 25, verse 1. Israel settled down 
and remained in Shittim, and the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, who invited the Israelites, the daughters of Moab, invited the Israelites to the sacrifices of their gods, and they ate and they bowed down to Moab's gods. So Israel joined himself to the god Baal of Peor. Now I'm going to try to share a little bit about how this god was worshipped, but it is so disgusting that I was telling Julie, I'm really, I don't know how explicit I should be. But I want you to hear this. This is God's people. I said, this is God's people who saw the miracles. You've seen the movie Ten Commandments, right? So you've all seen miracles. <laughs> but you've seen, you know, I'm, it's, but sincerely, if somehow, some way, I mean, I've seen miracles and I know the impact it's had on me. But if you can imagine seeing, again, like I said, an entire sea open up before your face, the sun stopped in its course for an entire day, uh, all the things that every miracle that they witnessed, the cloud itself, the pillar of fire, all these things, these are God's people. And verse 3 says, Israel joined itself to the God, Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take note all you ministers, take all the leaders of the chiefs of the people and hang them. Before the Lord in the sun, after killing them, that's good, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each one of you slay his men who joined themselves to Baal Peor. And behold, one of the Israelites came and brought to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and of all the congregation of Israel while they were weeping at the door of the tent of meeting over the divine judgment of the punishment. Verse 7, and when Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from the midst of the congregation. He took a spear in his hand. He went after the man of Israel into the inner room, thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman threw her body. And then the smiting plague was stayed, was stopped. I mean, a violent, that's pretty violent. If we're up here right now and somebody walks in here, one of our congregation walks in with their wife who is a, from some cult. And, you know, Des runs up here, being super Des that he is, takes a spear, runs it through the gut of both of them in front of everybody. That would again be another interesting Sunday church service, wouldn't it? But I mean, it was an act of sheer violence, but you've got to see something here. What I'm trying to communicate, what God's trying to communicate to him, it was rather a serious matter to the point that it took the death, it took death for death to stop. Something had to die so that the overall plague might be stayed. It's a serious thing. It goes on to say, it says, anyhow, in verse, in verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, those who died in the smiting plague were 24,000. And I'll just read a few more. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the person who did this, the person who put the spear through the chest of the man and the woman. It says, Phineas, son of Eleazar, this is the Lord speaking. 
has turned my wrath away from the Israelites and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the Israelites in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to Phineas the priest my covenant of peace. And we could go on from there with a lot of other teaching. Uh, I see what I'm going to share some more here, say the least. We're going to go back to try to introduce the soul tie aspect here in a moment. But again, I want you to see that this sin that disallowed God's people from going into the promised land, that sin that disallows God's people today from inheriting the promises is not a light thing in the eyes of God. He detests it because of how beautiful it's meant to be. He detests the very betrayal of what he gave it for, about what it really meant to be one. A husband shall join himself, a wife shall join himself to her husband, and they shall be one flesh. Actually, there's no phrase in the Bible that says soul ties. But it's meant and it's encountered everywhere you see this issue about a man and a woman becoming one or they were one. And it's not just sex sins. I mean, Jonathan and David, when you study it, is a very clear thing about how a godly soul tie was made between them. But this thing about sex, this thing about the actual sex sin and fornication being one of the reasons. It blew my mind. I, 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 anyhow, let me just spit some of it out. Peor, they all of Israel began to worship. It said, well, not all. It said, well, it says Israel joined themselves to Baal Peor and worshiped Baal Peor. Now, Baal just means God. Peor was a mountain, but Peor means opening, opening. When you study it out, it's some of the most, it's the most graphic, ugly, disgusting thing I'd ever looked at in my time of ministry. And I don't want to, I don't want anybody here, visitors to freak out, <laughs> but I, I want you to see how, I mean, when you, it's like Solomon. It says, Solomon, remember, saw the Lord, saw the Lord three times, and yet he went in with his wives, with foreign wives who caused him to give up his godly, you know, his godly choices. I mean, you can be exposed to that much of God and bring yourself down so low. And that's the thing I, I just, you know, there is a godly fear that's supposed to be on us. You know, I don't, you know, I don't preach condemnation. I don't preach all that stuff. But I'm telling you, when that sin is in your life, it's something that you need to recognize as horrific. It's not just a little goofy thing I did or a little something I shouldn't have done. Or, oh, heck, man, I messed up the other night. They worship the Baal of Peor. Peor means the Lord. I mean, it means, it means the opening. It meant the opening. It speaks to where a woman opens up here in her private place. It also speaks to, forgive me, it speaks to the opening of the male, his rear. The way Baal of Peor was worshipped, there were around, there were over thousands of prostitutes. Food was put down between, forgive me, food was put down between their spread legs. Men would come up and open their part up and defecate. over the offering. And then the male and the female, 
thousands at a time would gratuitously be having these sensual, it says all manner of sensuality, sexual practices on top of their food and their excrement. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where to go with that. I mean... I read this and I looked at it and I was looking at these drawings and stuff of these guys and theologians and what it really meant. And I mean, I'm not, I'm only giving you this much. I, I, I thought, you know, I've seen depravity when I was a teen challenge and all that stuff. And I told you about my time up in San Francisco. I don't have time to rehearse all that. And, but working with all the, the gay community and all the stuff that we had to deal with. And when we finally went from the people in the three-piece suits there and the square business people that were gay, how they experienced it and how they then down to Polk Street where all the college-aged homosexuals and the people then, all the young people that began to cruise and what happened to them. And then you got to Folsom Street where they had these dungeons and police would take us in there and these people would have sex acts on a stage until one of them killed one another and they would dump their bodies in the river in San Francisco. I'm not joking. But the thing is they would literally have sex and they people would sit on the stands Sit on the bar stools, and forgive me, visitors, really, but you see, at some point we have to talk, it's, it's real. People, and they still do it today, it's, it's even deeper. But anyhow, sit on a bar stool, having a drink, masturbating while people are killing each other in a sexual act, and then having others come and throw them in the sea. That's the stuff that I was exposed to with Teen Challenge. And I came home from that, if you remember, and I remember getting in the shower and putting my head up against the wall, and I began to convulse. I, I went into convulsions. I, it was so much deeper than crying. I didn't, you know, there's crying, and then there's crying where you just, you just, you just, you can't stop. I mean, I was convulsing. I didn't know, but what ha- was happening to me at that moment was it was the very first time I was actually, I'd actually heard the cry of the lost. So you can do churchianity for a long time. But at some point, something happens or you're exposed to something where you see depravity and the cost of it to the point that your heart just, it breaks and you realize, oh my God, these people are going to bust hell wide open. Isn't that wonderful news for Sunday morning? But the thing is, God, let's get back to the verse. God was rather angry at this. That his people had seen all these miracles, gone through the Red Sea, pillar of fire cloud, all of the ten plagues, all the deliverances, the freedom in Goshen. Yet, yet the daughters of Moab enticed them into that kind of worship? You know, and just actually, I, and I'm not trying to be corny or melodramatic. When I was reading some of that, I, you know, I started to tear up. And I said, I just said, God, you know, forgive us. How, how, can we be, how, how can we be so callous? How can we be so, so stupid? So, I mean, I don't know what dull, thick, whatever the word is. And I got to tell you that some of the reason that we're that way is, again, is that some of us are preaching grace to the point that we, we're not telling people how serious this stuff is, that it will kill you. It's not funny. It will kill you. You will never inherit the promises of God. Not really. As long as you have that part of your soul in your life where you just give yourself over to stuff.
Well, anyhow, that shocked me, like I said, and it's just something that kind of blew my mind. Now, let me start to speak about soul ties. I'm just going to read some stuff because, again, of all the time I've been taking with that. The Bible speaks of what is today known as soul ties. In the Bible, it doesn't use the word soul tie, but it speaks of them when it talks about souls being knit, knit together, rather, becoming one flesh. A soul tie can serve many functions, but in its simplest form, it ties two souls together in the spiritual realm. Soul ties between married couples draw them together like magnets, while soul ties between fornicators can draw a beaten and an abused woman to the man in which, in the natural realm, she would hate and run from. But instead, she runs to him, continues to return to him, though she knows he doesn't love her and treats her like dirt. There's something... The Bible is very clear. Like I said, I don't have, we're going to go through a few of them, but it, there's too many scriptures that talks about that you become one. Something happens, but he that is joined to a harlot, he that is joined to a prostitute, do you not know that you become one? It speaks of this something that happens when a male and female have sex together. There's something that's traded. Every single sexual partner that one person ever has relationship with leaves something in you. It could be anger. It can be bullheadedness, stubbornness, stubbornness. It can be lust. It can be all manner of things. But it's a, you see, this is what we don't know. It's a spiritual thing before it's a physical thing. This is what people don't understand. Sex is spiritual before it's physical. And again, I want to say that again. I mean, it's amazing when you're, I read all kinds of stuff. There are all kinds of psychologists and what have you as well. It's incredible. And they have a whole other language for it. And they don't have the revelation as were that in the things of God, <clears throat> things always manifest in the spirit before they manifest in the flesh. That's the truth, isn't it? Divorce manifests in the spirit before it manifests in the flesh. Something always starts here before it manifests there. We know that. So he goes on to this, and it's amazing a bond, how strong a bond can be. And I mean, uh, I listened to T.D. Jakes uh, uh, a while back. I listened to, he, he does a couple of series on soul ties. And, you know, TD, there's only one T.D. Jakes, and I ain't him. But he did make me laugh at one. He's talking about it, it's like Abraham and Sarah. You know, and he said, you talk about it, that, uh, you know, then Hagar, remember, was, became her, uh, Sarah's bondwoman. And he was talking about the language there, about what it really meant to be bound and how we can learn from. But anyhow, to jump to the point, he said that was, that was a, a bound woman, a bond woman to Sarah. And, of course, he said, you know, it's funny. He was talking about it. He said, you know, Sarah, she got to the place where she said, you know what? I'm not able to conceive. It seems the Lord seems to have gotten me, but... You know, Abraham, go into my maid, go have my maid Hagar, and maybe she can conceive. In other words, rather than wait for God's way, rather than wait for the blessing that God brings, I'm going to find another way to cause what needs to happen to happen. Amen? And that's basically what I was talking about, just talking about that. And I got to say, I laugh, but I'm going to say it too. You know, Julie and I have been married for 32 years. <clears throat> I got to tell you something. In 32 years of marriage, Julie has never said unto me, 
baby, I got a headache, but I got a friend. That uh, if you want, no, she's never said that. I said she's never said that. Never said that. I doubt ever if Ann ever said that to Pete. I know my mama never said it to my daddy. I know my grandmama never said it to my granddaddy. Ever. Uh, but Abraham, being the man of God that he was. I hear your wisdom, sir. But the result of it was, of course, think about it. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. Now, it's years later before Isaac is born. But think about it. Think about Sarah. And I'm taking this unashamedly right from a T.D. Jakes thing I watched a while back. He was saying, think about how, you know, Sarah, she's like all these women. But think about Hagar. She's pregnant. And when she, and she's pregnant and she gets to the point and she goes, oh, Abraham, Abraham, can you feel it right here? Can you feel him? He's kicking. Hey, come here, baby. Feel this. He's kicking. You feel that kicking? And he said, now picture Sarah, they're all in the same tent, watching Abraham feel her stomach, feeling, oh, wow, that's so neat. Wow, you can feel that baby kicking in there. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? And think what's going through Sarah's heart. And this is where, again, after a while, I can't quote what he, I can't say what he said because I'm the wrong color. If I said it, I'll get in trouble. But he said, pretty soon, what happened is what? Sarah rose up and said, Hagar, you and your baby, take that baby, get out of here. You're gone. The, you know, and this is where and Paul uses it as an allegory to the old, and the new, old covenant and the new covenant in Galatians. He says, you know, you have to cast out the bondwoman. But the point of all this, again, is that the thing is that how much did it hurt Abraham, too? Because he was, this was his son. But this was Ishmael was a son, something born from a wrong decision. I said something born from not waiting for God's way. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Any time you put yourself before God's ways, I guarantee you, you're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges that you just preferred, you just, you wouldn't have wanted. This is why... We follow him with faith and patience. But again, hell is out here, as you all know, pressing, pressing, pressing this sexual uh, agenda against everybody. You, you know, you've got to have it got to, to the point where people who aren't even, quote, unquote, sexually active, as it were, they start feeling like, well, I better be active because everybody else is active, so I think I better be active, so I'm going <laughs> to, whatever you got to do, man, let's go find some. You guys are looking at me all holy now. Let me get back. I'll just read my notes now. Godly soul ties are formed when a couple are married. Ephesians 5.31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And the godly soul tie between a husband and the wife that God intended to him to have is unbreakable by man. However, when a person has ungodly sexual relations with another person, an ungodly soul tie is then formed. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 9 through 20. I, well, let's just turn to it real quick. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 
just read it. I know you're all sitting out there saying, I'll be glad when this is done. But it isn't done yet. You have to suffer. Lock the doors back there. <laughs> Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 15. Do you not see and know that your bodies are members, bodily parts of Christ, the Messiah? Am I therefore to take the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Never, never. Notice the words in there twice with these exclamation points. Again, this is where working with the lexicons can be fun. It just speaks to a, it speaks to a maximum strength. It's, I don't know what else to say. It speaks to a maximized importance. Never, never. Verse 16, or do you not know? Now listen, really, 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 really hear the Apostle Paul say this. He says, don't you understand that when a man joins himself, forget the word prostitute. Don't you understand that when a man joins himself to a woman, he becomes one. Everybody say one. He becomes one body with her. The two it is written, shall become one flesh. In other words, what we don't seem to understand is inside of God or outside of God, there's something deeply spiritual that happens when a man and a woman come together in this sexual act. I said there's something deeply spiritual that happens. There's something deeply spiritual that happens. There's something deeply spiritual that happens, guys. But the thing is, well, let me keep reading. But the person who's united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18 then says, shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from impurity. Flee means run. It means what it says. Run from it. Any, any young man here? I'm going to have them all come up here. I think I'll have every young single man just come up here right now and embarrass the heck out of them all. I'm only kidding. I'm just watching all the people begin to freak out. <laughs> have you ever had to run? Have you ever had the courage to run? <laughs> Shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from impurity and thought, word, or deed. Any other sin. Say any other sin. 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 Which a, which a man commits is one outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins he misses it. He sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price, purchased with the preciousness, paid for, made his own, so then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. Now, get mad at me if you want, but turn to Romans 1. Let me just give you... A little bit more gospel before I go on with the soul tie thing. This will upset some people. It's very politically incorrect, but I could give a rip about that. In Romans 1, where he begins to give this whole list, because remember, Romans gets good. It's one of the most powerful books in the world. I always loved speaking about Westminster um, Chapel over here when... Uh, yeah, what? What's his name? Martin, yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I preached it a hundred times. I should remember. You know, incredible theologian, incredible order. The last 12 years, the last 12 full years of his life, he never, of all of his preaching there, he never left the book of Romans. 
I mean, Romans is heavy. You know, I, that's why I live in it. But so it gets to the good stuff. But you're laying Paul, like any preacher, is laying out the nasty stuff before he can get to the good stuff about the blood and the righteousness. Verse 17. I'm really messing it up, but it's okay. Hallelujah. It's my church. I'm going to go as long as I want. <laughs> Keep them doors locked, guys. For in the, verse 17, we're, you know, for in the gospel, Paul says in 16, I'm not ashamed. I'm simply not ashamed of this gospel. He says, for in the gospel, a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing from faith, leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. Hallelujah. As it is written, a man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. For God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress and hinder the truth. They hinder truth and make it inoperative. For that which is known about God is evident to them and made plain in their inner consciences. Because God himself has shown it to them. You've heard me say it before. There's not one male or female that's ever breathed on planet earth whom God hath not revealed himself to. Because he's a good God. Nobody, but nobody has ever broken to hell without first having had God revealed to them in some way. God's just bigger than your theology. Verse 24, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, that is his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made, his handiwork. So men are without excuse altogether, without any defense or justification. Because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks. But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasonings, stupid speculations, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be smart, they made simpletons of themselves. Let me tell you, I know a lot of PhDs, a lot of people with doctorates, and I tell you, in many of their cases, sadly, PhD now to me means post-hole digger. Does not mean doctor of anything. They show themselves to be absolute dunces, sadly. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Professing to be smart, they made simpletons of themselves. And by them, verse 23, and by them the glory and the majesty and the excellency of the immortal God were exchanged and represented by images resembling mortal man and birds and beasts and reptiles. Now watch verse 24 down. Uh, you know, I had to read it all to have it in context. Therefore God gave them up. Therefore God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their own hearts. And the first thing that's listed, of course, is sexual impurity. God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts. See, a lot of people don't understand. If you keep wanting it, you'll get it. But you'll also get what comes with it. It's your call. It's not mine. None of us in ministry can force anybody to walk uprightly before God. None of us can force anybody to walk before God with a whole heart. We can't wave some magic wand over you and you never make a mistake again. Every individual is a moral agent. They have their own mind, will, and emotions. 
and it's up to them to make the decision. As for me, I'm going to follow God. This is why I harp on it all the time. It needs to be a daily, I don't care if it's three minutes, a daily consecration, a daily thing. The moment you wake up, Father, today, Jesus, come partner with me today. Jesus, partner with me today. You close your eyes so tight that you begin to see. You've got to invite him in because he's, you know, I've said it from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He never forces himself upon anybody. You have to invite him. You've got to keep it fresh. Otherwise, because listen, your ears are open all day long. Your eyes are open all day long. You're going to see and hear all matter of crud all day long, all day long. And it carries influence and you have to make the choice what you will receive and what you will reject. And you have to learn to be a rejecter of anything that's got death on it. You have to recognize it not as something that's just fun, folly, okay. You have to recognize it as death. You've got to call it what it is. It's death. This is death unto me. This is death unto me. This is death unto me. I refuse to put death in my mouth. You know, Deuteronomy. I, therefore, I call all heaven and earth to record this day against you that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Would you please choose life so that thou and thy seed may live? Uh, uh, that, that verse, he says, it's your choice. I'm not going to force you into it. It's your choice. I set before you life. I set before you death. Every single day when you walk out or before you walk out of here right now, there's a moment. Some of you are being challenged with what you're going to keep doing and what you're going to stop doing. You are. And that's okay, but that's what it's about. This is why we have to preach this stuff. All we're trying to say is, would you please make right choices? Right choices bring you to right places. Wrong choices bring you to death. Death means separation. You'll be separated from the very hope you thought you'd have. You'd be separated from the fulfillment that you thought you'd find in secular sex. You're separated from it. You don't get better from it. No matter how much you might brag with your partner the next day, you just allowed some death into you. You just, that, you know, and God's going, please. But let me hurry up and get to what I'm trying to get to, why I went to Romans 1. Therefore, verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their own hearts, the sexual impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, abandoning themselves to the degrading power of sin, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26 again. Listen to this. For this reason, everybody say this reason. For this reason, God gave them over and abandoned them. The vile affections and degrading passions for their women exchanged their natural function for an unnatural and an abnormal one. Anybody unclear on what that means? And the men also turned from natural relations of women and were set ablaze, burning out, consumed with lust for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men. And listen to this part that you don't like. And suffering in their own bodies. And suffering in their own bodies and personalities. The inevitable consequences and penalty of the wrongdoing and going astray, which was their fitting retribution. 
And so since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, can you imagine? See, I know people like this. God is a joke. Laugh right in your face. You're in that religious trap. I mean, you know, they just laugh in your face. They don't know scripture. They don't, they, they're the ones who say if the classic thing, if God is so good, why is all the suffering and the poverty in Africa? They have no revelation of covenant issues and why covenants for centuries were broken to the state, to the point that people find themselves in the situation they are. The sins of ancestors, all this ancestry worship, all that stuff just continued to cause wrath. Not God's wrath. God's wrath was expended upon Jesus. But they continue to give themselves to the stuff that causes all the shame, the poverty, the drought, all kinds of stuff. I can, boy, I can hear the questions that are going to come from this, but I don't care. <laughs> men committed shameful acts with men, suffering in their own bodies and in their own personalities. And you got to catch this. When he said, I didn't say it, Paul, he was caught up into the third heaven, remember, heard things were unlawful, un, 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 unable to be uttered. I mean, the book of Galatians says Jesus Christ himself sat Paul down and revealed to him the whole revelation of the new creation. Then he sends it back to earth to share it, to teach it. And that's what this is right here. That's what Romans is talking about. And he's trying to tell people, you know, he's trying to, he's telling them the incredible pain and stuff that comes from sinful lifestyles. But remember, we're going to get to Romans 3. We're going to get to Romans 4. We're going to get to Romans 5. We're going to get to the goodness of God. Even in Romans 2 is where it says, don't you understand? It's the goodness of God that's intended to lead your hearts and minds to repentance. It's a revelation of how good God is. But he's trying to tell him. He's trying to tell you at the same time, though. Just like he's speaking about in Corinthians. This stuff, if it continues to be in your, in your midst, you know, it's not God's will. It's not never God's will. He is a loving God. But it says that if people continue to reject God openly, particularly in these sexual situations, sex acts, it says they begin to receive in their body the fitting retribution. Now, I didn't write that. I didn't write that. We're not, you know, don't get mad at me, but I'll say, where do you think age comes from? God? No. Don't you understand every disobedience opens a door to demonic work? Don't you really understand it? You know, to sin means to miss the mark. But unbelief means something very different. Unbelief is when you know the truth and you choose to go against it. You hear me? Sin doesn't send you to hell. Unbelief does. It's when you know the way, but you choose another way. God says, it's your call. Not what you want. Go. But you have to see, God doesn't rejoice in that. God, you've got to, somehow, we pray constantly. I've heard Julie pray. I pray, Father, please open the people's eyes. Let them see that God's in heaven sometimes weeping because he wants the people to rejoice in what he's made from just do things my way. Just do things my way. Why do you consider, like to Paul, when Paul wrote to Damascus, why do you continue to kick against these prods and pricks, these things that keep saying, no, no, no. These little impulses, these promptings of the spirit that keep coming up and saying, duh, 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 don't, 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 stop, stop, stop this. Or they're telling you, you need to start this, you need to start this. Why do you kick against that? And what do you do? 
And so since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or approve of him or even consider God worth the knowing, God gave them over to a base and condemned mind to do things not proper or decent but loathsome until they were filled, they were permeated, they were saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, iniquity, grasping, covetous, greed, malice, full of envy, jealousy, murder, strife, deceit, treachery, ill will, cruel ways, secret backbiters, gossipers, slanders, hateful to and hating God, full of insolence, arrogance, and boasting, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient, undutiful to appearance. They were without understanding, consciousness, and faithless, heartless, and loveless, and merciless. Verse 32, <clears throat> therefore they are fully aware. <laughs> therefore they are fully aware of God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die. But they not only do them themselves, but they approve and applaud others who practice them. That's the epitome of those whom God actually, if God hates anything, those who applaud others that are in sin. But now that was horrible, all that stuff, remember? And then you go to Romans. I don't have time to, I shouldn't be going this way anyway. I want to get to some of this whole tie stuff, but I've got to shut up now in about two minutes, which won't happen. But this is heavy stuff. See, I mean, I never teach this stuff to that degree, but I want you to see the flipping truth. I don't want to, I, I really, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but I really don't want your blood on my hands. I want you to really hear how powerful this stuff is to God. I don't see, I look out like a, we jokingly call all my single girls in this church, you know, like Bobby right here. You know, Bobby's my daughter. She's Julie's daughter. Ayana is my daughter. Is Julie's daughter. You hear me? Elizabeth is my daughter. Casey is my daughter. Lucy is my daughter. And these young men, Daniel is my daughter. Even John Vinsel is frightening, but he's my son. Ugh, that took a lot of... A lot of revelation. Jason, these single men and women that are here, I don't, I want, I, I want them to have something in their heart that's stronger than what they have in their flesh. You understand? I want something to be so strong in here because I know they're going to be tempted. Of course they are. Everybody is. Even Fermi, even Super Fermi back there. I mean, doing all these gigs. You know, you're around the rock world, what have you. I mean, that's where the idolatry is. Oh, man, I had a whole nother, and let me shut up. But in Romans 2, he says all that funky stuff, like tough stuff. But then he comes all through Romans 2. If you read the first four verses himself, then it comes down again to verse 4, where he says, Are you so blind to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, his patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended? <sighs> To lead you to repent. In other words, this whole book is about that. Reads all this sin, and he says the way you're going to get free from it is when you hear how good God is. See, if we can somehow, like I said, if we preachers can ever slip up and make a mistake and show people how beautiful God is, God thinks people will be attracted to him. Hallelujah. Uh, hi. i got to finish. Soul ties. There's two tons of stuff. Please just go up yourself, look online, do something. There's a lot of far better teachers on it than I am. Like I said, I've never actually taught on it per se. Godly soul. This is something that was written by a lady. I see. I got it off some one of her books. I wrote it down here somewhere. Deborah, somebody, I think. Daniel Tate. Daniel Tate. An article by her. Godly soul ties are formed. I'll be done here in five minutes. Everybody say, praise God. 
Uh, Nobody say anything because they don't believe it. Godly, but listen to this. Just as we come shattering to a close. Godly soul ties. I really want you to hear this. See, It's not just through sex. Like I said, it's just wrong relationships. I did a whole series years ago called Wrong Associations. Or all, all the scriptures in the Bible were... I mean, there's only about seven, well, there's seven major passages, but where he simply says, you know, don't associate, like don't associate with an angry man. Don't associate with this. Don't associate with that. Wrong alliance. I call it wrong alliances. That's what it is. God wants us aligned with them. Godly soul ties. See, when David gets up there, I know I'm in trouble. I love David. Godly soul ties are formed when a couple are married. Again, I've read this, but I didn't get to the end of it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. And the godly soul tie between a husband and the wife that God intended him to have is unbreakable by man. However, when a person has ungodly sexual relations with another person, an ungodly soul tie is then formed. 1 Corinthians 6 that we read. Where he says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Listen to this statement. This soul tie fragments. Anybody here worked with computers in the old days when you had, used to defrag your hard drive? When it get all fragmented, we'll see how old everybody is. <laughs> soul ties fragment the soul. Can you put up that first slide, Dom? Let me see if it's this one. With the first one here, this is just a simple picture of the way, you know, in Jewish, in Jewish tradition, want to have, you know, when a man and a woman get married, they wrap this cord around their hands because, again, it's a revelation of becoming one. Just this one, they're becoming one soul. Can you put the next one up? It's very simple. And I was looking at all kinds of diagrams, but I mean, this is just showing, in other words, let's say you're Bill, you got a little bit of Dorothy, you got a little bit of Isabel, a little bit of Francesca, a little bit of Edna, a little bit of everybody else who they've been with. If you're Janet, I'm see, aren't you glad this name, as far as I know, all the names on here are not the names of anybody in our church? <laughs> but just get the point. There was one that I couldn't find, but had about, you know, 35 people, and each person had something labeled like anger, some emotion, or what have you, because the issue of soul ties had to do with the mind, with the memories, and with the emotions. Soul ties have to do with memories. You carry a memory of somebody in the past that begins to, uh, it begins to, what's the word? Well, it begins to diminish your future and your present. You care, let me say it again. You carry a memory. Often people carry a memory from a past relationship that begins to diminish their ability to have life today. Okay? Anyhow. Soul ties fragment the soul, and this is destructive. People who have had many past relationships find it very difficult to bond or be joined to anybody because their soul is fragmented. The actual word that's used is scattered. So any rash vow, I got a, I'm only on my first page here. I've got 34 more pages. Any rash vow or commitment, this is what I should do at the end. You know what? Forgive me. I'm going to jump to another part. God the Father designed the universe. Anybody think that's true? Just hold on for a few more minutes. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to hear this. God the Father designed the universe to function with natural and spiritual laws that bring freedom when obeyed. But bondage destruction does come when they're broken and violated. Just as two souls can be knit they can be knit, like even the Bible says to us in the New Testament, we are to be knit together in love, all of us in this church. Thank God we have a blessed church when it comes to that. 
Just as two souls can be knit or made to cleave together in a covenant relationship, they can also be tied or knit together to form bondage and enslavement. Sexual union was ordained by God to make two marriage partners one flesh before God, but but promiscuous premarital and extramarital affairs can mysteriously tie one soul to many partners. We seem to misunderstand the seriousness in these soul ties. It's because of a lack of knowledge that we perish. People that have been promiscuous, their souls are not only drawn to all their former lovers, but when they marry, they often have sexual and communication problems with their mates. They're unable to be sexually satisfied by their marriage partner because they suffer from a scattered soul. They cannot share themselves fully with their mate. So they often seek satisfaction not only with multiple partners, but also through experimentation with bizarre forms of sex that may eventually lead to perversion. So if you're in a sexual relationship right now outside of marriage, stop it. No matter what kind of thing Satan tells you about it is okay, that you're in love, your life will become so entangled that you'll want you'll that you you won't even you won't even know what's going on. You, the fact of the matter is, you'll be cursed. So any vow or commitment, I'm going to just read these last things about breaking soul ties. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying this for anybody to make a response, but I, you know, when I study this stuff, I, I start praying, God, please help me be a better communicator. Sometimes I feel like you know I've done no good at all. It's just the way it is when you stand up here sometimes. It's just, you know, I don't want to bang and gavels and slap stuff around and all this kind of stuff and get melodramatic. But my heart, Julie's heart, I mean, Pete and Ann, these people that have been around, Deji, T, a lot of us, the elders, we, it does, it, when, you know, I've been in ministry 30 some years. The people that I've seen, that I've known, that I've loved, who have gone astray, the stories I have, of people that today, you know, 35 years later, their life is basically destroyed. And it's because the, it's like nobody will slap them upside the face and say, do you really understand the depth of what you're involved in? Do you really understand that your future is going to be full of death if you keep this crap up? That it's not a joke? I mean, that you know, we got to quit being sissies. If you do love people, you need to love them enough to tell them the truth. Did you hear me? All of you that have a bunch of buddies that you run around with, all you single folk, would you please have enough moral courage to to stand up for the truth and don't bow down? And when they start telling you their little stories of their whatever kind of relationship they had with somebody, call it what it is. Let them think what they will, but God will bless you. Any rash vow or commitment made that played a part in forming the soul tie should be renounced and repented of, broken in Jesus' name. Even things like saying, I will love you forever, that you may have said to 27 people, or I could never love another man, I could never love another woman, they need to be renounced. There are spoken commitments that need to be undone verbally. Dr. Cole always used to say, sin goes out by way of the mouth. Did you hear this? Sin. How does sin leave your body? Confession. Sin leaves. Sin goes out by way of the mouth. 
I want this out. I say this stuff is out of my life. You don't have to have 14 people beat on you with canes. There are spoken commitments that need to be undone verbally. As Proverbs 21, 23 tells us, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. The tongue has the ability to bring the soul great troubles and bondage. So number one, do this. Would you first, if there's any, any of you that are suffering from this kind of stuff or whether you want to admit it or not, the first thing I'd like to say is forgive yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself because it's happened to all of us. You know, I have my life before Christ. Julie's had her life before Christ. You've heard Bobby share many times about her life before Christ. You know, we've renounced that old life. And we've forgiven ourselves. We've accepted forgiveness. But then you have to turn. And even if you, we're not saying if, if you know, 14 names or something. But you, then you forgive the person. You forgive the individual that you had anything to do with. And then you renounce. You simply renounce the soul tie. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce this tie to this person that I keep thinking about all the time. That's not God. If something keeps racking your mind, if the first thing you think of when you wake up is this person, you're bound Example, in Jesus' name, I now renounce any ungodly soul tie formed between myself and blank. Full stop. Break the soul tie in Jesus' name. Do this verbally using your authority in Jesus. Another example, I now break and sever any ungodly soul tie formed between myself and this individual. And you call their name. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But I want you to see how simple those statements are because when you get alone... If you have a name that comes up, I want you to voice that name. Do you hear me? I want you to forgive yourself. I want you to forgive them. But then I want you to break the back of that thing that may be in your soul that you don't even realize is still there. Do you hear me? Do you really hear me? I don't want it in your life. You don't need it in your life. Hallelujah. My final little paragraph. Rod's getting up. Everybody say, oh, glory to God. Same author, this Daniel Tate, said this. Um, when we have a sexual experience, this is physiologically true, our brains produce dopamine, D-O-P-A-M-I-N-E. The same chemical that feeds gambling addictions, chocolate cravings, and the junkies' desire for another fix. Oh, well. It's true. Dopamine is often described as the feel-good chemical of the brain and plays a major role in our lives, good and bad. You see, our bodies don't care if it's cocaine, a cupcake, or a sexual experience. <laughs> Dopamine will be produced and it will bind us because you want to keep going back to it. This is why this girl, woman is saying, this is why my former boyfriend, I just want you to know I didn't have any boyfriends. <sighs> Sorry. I don't know why, but nobody have ever accused me of that one. <laughs> I've been, been accused of a lot of stuff and never that. <laughs> you see, our bodies don't care if it's cocaine, a cupcake, or a sexual experience. Dopamine will be produced and it will bind us. This is why my former boyfriends were like my drug of choice. Without them, I was addicted to the high. I'd created soul ties when I had these feel-good, intimate experience with these guys I wasn't married to. That's why also it literally hurt when we broke up. Soul ties are like super glue. If you've had a sexual encounter outside of marriage, consensual or forced, there's most likely a lingering soul tie that needs to be dealt with. Otherwise, you'll be forever plagued with thoughts, feelings, even actions that are unwanted. 
She said, I mentioned forced encounters because although pleasure is not associated with abuse, our brains still produce chemical reactions and our soul can still be tied to someone who has abused us. And she went on, some symptoms of the lingering soul ties include some, he, hearing someone's voice in your head, obsessive daytime thought about someone, and it goes on and on and on. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. Father, I give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that if all this boils down to me, to one truth, that truth sets you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you came literally to set us free. We all know the simple verses, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, I just want to thank you right now for every single person that's a member of our fellowship, every visitor, every individual that's here. I want to thank you for the authority that is in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to do my part as pastor, but I pray that they'll do their part as an individual. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in that name, I release the strength, the might, and the courage, and the Holy Spirit's work to break the power of every demonic hold on their souls from past relationships in the name of Jesus Christ. I command your power, your death broken because the life is always more powerful than the death. So I speak life to you. I speak release to you. I speak freedom in the Holy Spirit to you. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that you will be clear thinkers. I thank you I break the power of obsession. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And just lift your hands to heaven. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 